um, parody lyrics to songs you don't know that well or that you don't know how to do them. Do you want me to do it? Um, yeah, that'd be nice. Because I, I actually do know that song. I put a little green mark where it goes to, so you can be a smart cookie. Okay. Am I just... It's just the Frank Sinatra word song. It or am I singing it? Uh, spoken word, but paste. Fly me to the moon and let me kick its fucking ass. Let me show it what I learned in my moon jujitsu class. It's a good opening. In other words... Otherwise, what? Ladies and Future Boys. Well, that's just what the next. Ladies and Future Boys, welcome to the School for Wayward Nerds. I the only podcast selling its bones for beer money. My name is Terry DePaul. And I've recently. I'm already drunk. Yep. And I have. Well, because we're out of all our bones. You become wobbly without bones. Um, my name is Terry DePaul, and I've recently been investing some time um, towards the Bayonetta franchise. Uh, the weird controversy around the release of the third installment put it on my radar. And eventually I figured I would just try them out, despite having no idea what they were about. And by the time I reached the end of the first game, still didn't really have much of an idea what they were about. Um, but that's okay, because the sequel explains things a lot better, but maybe not everyone made it that far into the series, especially because the game was cross-platform after the first one. Um, yeah, it was during the first one. So if you were playing it on Xbox, you didn't see the sequels. Yeah. Um, so today I will rectify this as best I can as we cover the first... Uh, the original Bayonetta. Joining me, producer Kai. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I would like to say I'm one of those people that didn't really make it through. You got. F- I actually. So as far as platforming games go that aren't like Animal Crossing, you got further. You got pretty far. Well, no. See, the problem that I had was I, I started it first. Yeah. And I was doing okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit confused by the the levels and the difficulty and things like that but then you came in and you were like cool so what's this about and i could not answer <coughs> that question and then the more i thought about it i was like i'm playing this game and i have no like am i the good guy am i the bad guy what is going on and so i was just like the cutscenes are long but because they start off long and you're not invested yet a bunch of things will go down and you're on your phone and then you'll, and then next thing you know, the game's over, and you're like, "Huh, that was weird." Yeah. Then, which, which they knew was happening because you get to Bayonetta two, and they explain the plot of the first one twice, at least twice. I'm not quite finished on that one yet, but they've told me what happened multiple times. I'm like, "Wow, they really had to hammer that one in after the fact, huh?" Well, that's, and I'm not sure if like it's like I, now that you've gone on ahead of me. Mm. I know that it's not like a me problem. No, I was, but I was like, Mark, I'm not I was lie. so confused in the moment that I was like, I just, I'm gonna step away from this and I'm gonna come back when I get it. It's like a good detective book, though, in a way, because you re- the second time you go through it, you catch lots of little things and you're like, oh. mm. you know, and then that's and that's nice. I see. Mm. Before we dig into the game's lore, uh, we have to get to the point where the game is on our screens in the first place, as we always do. That begins with Hideki Kamiya, um, a guy I mostly know as the dude on Twitter who just blocks everyone. I remember that. Yeah. Remember him unblocking someone to like their fan art and then like reblocking them again? Yes. On his way out. Um, but he has a pretty long history in the industry. 
in, in the gaming stuff proper. Oh, yeah. He's not just a weird Twitter guy. He began working for Capcom in 1994. Can I put it out there? Mm-hmm. I think that's actually the best way to run a Twitter. Well, I think that's the whole thing. It's like you just keep it clean yeah. and organized. And that's very, like, Japanese of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he worked at Capcom mm-hmm. 1994, directed Resident Evil 2 and Devil May Cry 1. Hmm. Okay. After those, uh, there's, there's a bunch of stuff I skipped over about, like, how Resident Evil 2 had to, like, make a certain amount of sales because of the investment in it and stuff. And it, it all turned out pretty good. Yeah. Because they're still going. Clearly. We're going to get a big lady in VR soon. Yeah. So, um, so after those, Capcom had set up Clover Studio to be more of a creator-controlled department, like how DC Comics used to have Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, this little Capcom side quest, um, it, it took Hideki in, and he directed Beautiful Joe, which is a game that I only know from, like, Oni Plays, and, um, and Okami, which was the, you know, the really watercolored one with the white dog? You know it if you saw it. Yes, I do. Mm. He did that one. Okay. Yep, I'm I'm with you. Okay. In late 2006, Capcom packed up Clover Studios, like how DC Comics discontinued Vertigo. Tell me something. After Hideki tasted the freedom to create his own things and put his like his individual mark on something, Mm -hmm. remembering Devil May Cry was built out of a glitch GTA style. Um, you know he had the freedom to create his own things, not just do sequels and things that sort of belong to Capcom, was he going to rejoin the main company again? Probably not. The same year, he becomes founder of Seed Incorporated, which changes its name, and for the sake of convenience, we will use the new one, Platinum Games. Okay. Okay, they cut a deal to release four games for Sega, one of which was The Witch, Bayonetta. Yeah. Well, Hideki was writing the story using names from Scandinavian mythology and getting some gameplay ideas from playing, like, half of Devil May Cry 4, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. It's the same hack and slashy vibe of that stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, I can see it. Especially the juggling, which is sort of what Devil May Cry spawned from. Because there was an original build of, like, another game, I forget which, but they realized there was a bug problem where you would, like, knock the the enemy up into the air mm-hmm. and keep the fucker there mm-hmm. and continue to, like, do jungle attacks. Now, they had to take that out of the original game, but it was a cool idea. Yeah. So Devil May Cry was sort of built around being able to do that. Yeah. Um, which is always fun. That's probably why it reminds me of playing, like, Senran Kagura games, because you do the same thing there. So he was working with artist Mari Shimazaki on the designs. Hideki wanted... A modern female witch with glasses and wielding four guns. As you do. So Mari goes and does a design for the Bayonetta character. She has the glasses to seem intelligent and to stand out from other heroines, uh, which works because, like, I've been working on these notes for, like, maybe a month now, and Velma and Daria are the only iconic glasses-wearing characters I can think of. You can't even count Supergirl. Oracle, maybe. But the only time Not she ever- Not as Batgirl, but as that's, Oracle. That's the thing. Anytime she was kicking ass, the glasses were off. Same with Supergirl. Ooh, unless Ooh. you count Oracle for her, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Hmm. A, the, none of them kick physical ass. 
Except for Bayonetta. Oh. It's got me beat. Look, 100%, I can understand why as a glasses wearer myself. Mm-hmm. They are not very stable in physical conditions. And if there is any chance of rain, <laughs> they are actually hazardous to your health. Mm. Now, one of the other detailed choices of it, did you get the reference regarding her hair in Bayonetta 1? No. Do you know what those things are called? A ponytail? No, it's like a beehive, but pointy. You know, like those narrow ones? Very old time. Very medieval. I know that, you know. Now, I didn't realise this, but the beehive hairdo in the first game was that shape as a subtle reference to a witch's hat. It just doesn't have the brim. Oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I didn't get that one. Not to be told. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was because she had, like, some sort of old-timey medieval era... You know? Look, there's a lot going on in the first part of that game that are really odd. There's a whole fight scene that happens, and I'm like, "Who are you? Why we were driving along a freeway, and what? There's now planes on the ground." Mm-hmm. So Mari drew up this design for Bayonetta, and then spent over a year on doing other concept designs for the character, like different options. But in the end, they all agreed the first one was still the best one. Yeah. Oh, but over a year of work, it's just like. Yeah, none of it's any good. I'm just throw it off. Yeah, but you... Ouch, right? No, no, I can kind of get that because, like, that's got to be such a small percentage of times when the first thing you do is the best. Mm. Like, you need to explore the other options because otherwise someone's going to come up with something better and you're going to be like, I could have done that. Mm. Like in the second one, they're like, no one got the witch's hat reference, just cut the hit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, once they had the design, it was modelled in-game by Kenichiro Yoshimura. Are we um, going to do that thing where we're like, we're sorry, we're very white people? No, I think I've nailed all country. these ones because they're all Japanese. It's anytime anything else comes into play that fucks me up. Okay. Don't worry. We've got the guy who voices Spider-Man on PS4 later. We apologise. <laughs> that one we can apologise. We are very white people in a very white country. Yep. Right, so he had designed some characters and creatures throughout the Resident Evil franchise and Okami, like the, mm-hmm. the dog stuff. He and Mari worked together to perfect her makeup, and he alone worked hard to get her butt perfect because he was into, quote, that sort of thing. Um, yep. Which is fine. You're looking at it the entire game. True. It's a third person, so. I get it. Um, the fact he wasn't a designer in Resident Evil Village is baffling to me after reading that quote, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once she was in the game, the movements and attacks were based on being feminine and sexy. Like, she bleeds flower petals. She has butterfly wings sometimes. Her shadow always has them. Yeah. Which is a cool detail. Um, her moveset could be described as mean stripper. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we can talk more about the magic stuff as things play out, I think. Um. How do you feel about her movements? Is it sexist or is it empowering? It's um, one of those blurred lines for people. No, I think it's more empowering than sexist. Because... She's confident and happy doing the things she's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. She also can kick the fuck out of anyone in any room. But so it's very, like... And this is going to sound weird because it's not mm. written by a female. As in, she's never doing anything that is overly sexually, like, I think that's being implied to the character. She's not doing it for that purpose. Hmm. 
Like it's more of a, haha, I can do this. And everyone's like, ooh, I can do this and look good doing it. Like, yeah. yeah. All right, I'm just checking with resident woman. I don't, I don't see sure. it as overtly sexual. Okay, cool. For all those playing at home, you also didn't have a problem with Kaijo or Stripperella, so I don't know if we're the best. No! <laughs> I don't know if we're the best for this Because one. Kaijo is, it's very dependent on, and I suppose this is the same way, it's very dependent on the lens. Mm-hmm. If you're actually watching Kaijo and you're paying attention to the purpose for what they're doing, it's not sexual in any nature. It's literally just like volleyball without the ball. Hmm. If you want to sit there and go, <laughs> they're playing sports with their butts, then yes, it's sexual in nature. Hmm. Depends on if you're jerking off. I don't know. <laughs> Right, Let so it be known, I have never jerked off to Bayonetta. It's too long. I love that that's your problem. Look at it. She's long. <laughs> she is. It's very, very creepy in that sense. Femininity is a tricky word to say, and it was also a factor in the music. Uh, they used all-female choirs. They had pianos and other, quote, beautiful instruments. Nice. I don't fully know what that meant, but they were aiming for something. You know, there's a goal there. It also features a lot of folky music, you know, old Ren Fair witch shit. Yes. You know? It's um, definitely trying to be set in a particular It's in the present day, but place, it's in a but... weird, vague one. Yeah. Like if everywhere was as weirdly historical as, like, some areas of Salem. Mm-mm. All right. Yep. Yeah, so folky music to the point where her guns were named after the Scarborough Fair. Did you know this? All of her guns had individual names. No. Parsley, oh. sage, rosemary, and thyme. Oh. Mm, let's see. I don't know if the blue ones in Bayonetta 2 have the same names. I think they do. And they just got a fresh coat of paint. The soundtrack they released featured everything. All 150 tracks, unless you're American. I told you this little bit of trivia. Do you remember this one? If you were American, you didn't get Fly Me to the Moon. Which is like... The theme. The, yeah. That's like dropping fairy tale out of, like, the fairy tale theme out of the soundtrack. Mm. It's like dropping the battle music out of the Persona 5 music. You, like, you just can't do it. Yeah. That's weird, right? No, you know exactly what it's like? Mm. Changing the married with children song to free fucking music. Royalty free music. <laughs> oh. So, with all that behind-the-scenes stuff out of the way, it's time to dive into the lore and game itself. Here we go. Which is strikingly tricky, as we've already <laughs> pointed out. <laughs> um, so, when I think of the start of Bayonetta as a franchise, I think about that awesome cemetery scene and tutorial that takes place therein. Mm. I liked that bit. But, going back to going back there for this episode, I realized my brain skipped over a lot of wild stuff without any context. Mm-hmm. All right, the, the pre-menu cutscene is just flashes and quotes that give up no context, and if I explained them, it would blow most of the game's load before we even get to the main menu. Um, so then once you start the game, things aren't exactly any clearer. Um, you begin playing in ancient robes, fighting some kind of biblic- biblically accurate angels with a buddy in a red outfit atop a clock tower, that's falling off a cliff. Mm. Thoughts on that? It was confusing. Mm-hmm. Did it leave a, a lasting impression? Because I think that was the vibe, was like, to try and make the player go, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, kind of. Mm. 
Okay, well, you button match and taste some of the hack and slash style of the gameplay, some narration kicks in. It talks of the finer things, like two secret clans that have been around since before written history. Mm-hmm. One group being the... Witches. The Umbra Witches, which were a coven that follows the path of darkness, and the Lumen Sages. Uh, they follow the path of light and follow the Lord, all that against them. Um, but the two groups achieved balance. Yeah. For every angel on a shoulder, there is a devil on the other one. Yes. You know, them's the rules. Um, in that balance, they found peace. Um, this was the way for a long time until it was not. For reasons hinted but not yet revealed, there was a falling out between the Sorcerer Faction and the Little Marvel, and a Little Marvel comic Civil War goes down. Mm-hmm. I made sure to say Marvel Comics because you don't want to say an actual Civil War went down because historical stuff is sad sometimes. Yeah. Sure, the Lumen Sages had the power of God and anime on their side, but eventually they were worn down by the Umbra Witches. Victory went to these gothy creatures, but it was short-lived because, you know, normal mortals feared them. Yeah. And thus we get the witch hunts. The witch hunts in this game's reality weren't just mob mentality manifested into one of history's most cruel and pointless moments. Uh, instead, in this work of fiction, the witch hunts were successful and a genocide of these Umbra witches all had been eradicated, all except one. Yeah, but you That's the game. Mm-hmm. So, cut to the present day of anywhere between 2009 and 2020, depending on what console you got there. Oh. Because it's been... It came out on whatever the 2009 Nintendo stuff was, and the Xbox and the PlayStation 2. I think it was the Wii. Might have been the Wii. I, I think it might have been the Wii U at that point, actually. No, I think Wii U was it has a little of, bit later. It has later. a lot of touchscreen options. Okay. I feel like it's from that, but I don't know. Well, t- at any rate, they've been re-released and on updated consoles continuously up to yeah, the Switch. Yeah, we've got it on the Switch. Mm-hmm. So, high above a city, we see a large and strange-looking cargo plane. Inside, we see the, the woman in red from earlier, mm-hmm. who's named uh, John. But the French way. So I've written John for my own phonetic reasons. Sure. It's, 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 you know, it's Jean, but with the accent. Hmm. Jean. Jean. Nah, she, in, in the game, they pronounce it like John. There's a hard O in it. Okay. So I had to check. Okay. Because I know the one you're talking about, and I know the one I'm hearing. Okay. And they're different. Okay. All right, right. She's voiced by Greg Griffin, or Greg Delisle. Depending we on love Greg. Yep. Uh, she's my favorite Catwoman. And literally hundreds of other things. She's got one of those resumes. You know the ones. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, John is witnessing Lumen Sages on this plane as they sacrifice themselves to awaken a creature. Then the game actually is what it kicks in a gear from there. Mm-hmm. A lot of vague things up to this point. Yeah, I still don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, the cemetery scene. This is this is my favorite. This is a good opening, I think. Maybe I Did you play, like it? Maybe I should play two and then go back and play well, one. Well, two will explain one to you, so you'll be ready for one. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I can't wait to play three and it tells me what happened in the first, in like the second game as well. Yeah. Mm, and then we've got this fourth one that'll probably be out by the time this, is hap- this episode hits the listeners, which I think is a prequel to three. She looks like three. Okay. Takes place between one and three. Okay. It's Bayonetta 2, but like a side. 0.5. Yeah. It's like that fucking weird Lion King one that's just Timon and Pumbaa watching Lion King. I actually really like that film. It's cute if you like um, Mystery Science Theater. Because that's what it fucking really is. It's really fucking stupid. <laughs> well, if you don't have the budget to animate a new one, fuck it. Just 
watch the old one again. It's like when Toy Story did bloopers. Oh, they were great. That rules it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank God. Thank God. Look, spoilers Bye. for later. This game doesn't do bloopers, but it does a lot of that same goofy the end of the movie stuff. Like, there's a choreographed da- dance sequence at the end. Very reminiscent of Shrek 1. Oh. Because that had the stupid karaoke bit. And it also has a really great, like, that one mashup is perfect. As bad as the new Saints Row was, when you 100% it and you finally have the karaoke night and everyone's singing Love Shack and they clearly blew their budget on paying for Love Shack, I think. That part, I actually, like, that was fun. Yeah. Watch, watching your character sing that while just, like, shooting people on a freeway is fucking... It's, yeah, that's kind of what the game needed to have been the whole time, yeah. instead of just at the end. The cemetery scene. The camera moves along past gravestones. Names on them are opening credits. Yes. It's a cool way of doing it. Um, they do this until director Hideki Kamiya's stone is pissed on by a dumpy little New York man named Enzo. Yes. Voiced by Chick Venera. How do you feel about him? He's annoying, but I think he's supposed to be annoying. Yeah, he's the dumpy little fat man. Yeah. Um, so, Chick Venera did parts in, like, every 90s WB cartoon and died in 2021. Oh. Enzo is a curmudgeon and complaining about being dragged out on this rainy day to say goodbye to a departing friend named No Shit Eggman. <laughs> want to talk about that? This is a Sega property. Hmm. So we can all assume Shadow the Hedgehog finally killed Eggman, Dr. Robotnik. And you're also collecting halos as currency in this? They're fucking rings. It's Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So this is the thing I wanted to point out. They, they already knew that it would work on the console. So a nun is quietly reading her verses, and, and she's super tall and elongated, so it's pretty like easy to we, assume we who that one is. is. Yeah, it's not subtle. But- you know, I do appreciate the cinematography and the light cheese of the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah, dude, these are cheesy as fuck. If you're going in there thinking, like, dark, gritty, like, the crow, no. you ain't fucking finding it here, dude. It's, it's almost a comedy. Look, uh, yeah, it is. It's not Batman Returns. It's not Batman and Robin. It's a little Batman Forever-y. Yeah. Light cheese. Little cheese, not too much cheese. Yeah. As Enzo gives his last adios, a ray of sunlight pierces the grey drizzle of the day, and a choir can start to be heard. Mm-hmm. Enzo panics, as he can't see where the choir voices come from, but the nun can. She can see the instruments of God. She gives a final prayer before looking into the light, smoothly raising her hand, and waves it in a big circle, and a big purple sigil appears. Um, she leaps through this sigil... In a very slow motion moment, um, as she does, she... They do like this. It's hard to explain, but they cross... She crosses a plane of existence, um, leaving the mortal world, meaning Enzo, who turns into, like, a weird wispy ghost. He does. And the angels singing the choir become visible again. He loses his corporeal body. Mm. She's entered the angelic realm, and then she proceeds to kick the fuck out of the angels. As you do. Angel blood splatters with every uppercut, every kick. Um, as she is fucking suplexing like a dozen of them at once, the coffin they were funeraling. Couldn't think of the word. You can't either, so I still win. Why are you trying to- Yep, yeah, okay. The coffin you that win. you are doing the funeral at. 
What do you do with the... It's not going in the ground yet. What's the word for it? Warning? Yeah. That's probably better than funeraling. It opens up and we meet Rodan. Okay. Which is definitely spelled different to how it's pronounced. He's voiced by Dave Finoy, uh, who I would know as Lucius Fox in most of the Batman games. Not just the Arkham ones, but like fucking all of them. Yeah. Lego, you name it. Um, and he's a traveler of Earth and Hell, mostly to make deals between both. Kind of yeah. like a messenger or a dealer of goods. He gives me my weapons. He do. Yep. He bears witness to the nun's outfit being sliced away like a Senran Kagura character. The moans were a little bit overkill, but the game knows an audience. Um, the nun outfit falls away and you see her nude silhouette in the air until the black skin-type bodysuit forms around her. Kind of looks like a symbiote. Yes. But it isn't that. And we'll come back to that detail. Okay? Because there's a lot going on in this cutscene already. We'll come back around. Okay. Right, we got we got to break things up. If bit. we have to. I'm leaving that section for you, by the way. <laughs> Alright. For now, though, Rodan throws her what he had been stashing in the coffin. Guns. Yeah, Many a guns. In all her smug, witchy, fat pussy energy, this is Bayonetta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Voiced by Helena Taylor in the first two games. Okay. What do you think of her design overall? Um, it's good. We've mentioned it's good. We've mentioned it's long. She's very tall. Yeah. Very tall. It's a very, like... You can see that went for a classic design. I think it's a very iconic design. Yeah. We know who Bayonetta was before we sort of sunk our teeth into it. And like I said before, no other ass-kicking characters have glasses. Mm. Certainly none have a big, tall haircut. And no, no one's wearing a, a gun on their foot. It is a very unique outfit. Mm. It stands out from the crowd, definitely. Yes. She must look really weird in Smash Brothers. Yes. Have to. I think they shrunk her down a little bit. She's not as long in that game. Yeah. She's normal proportion. Wouldn't fit the character model. No. She would She would stub her toe on Super Mario. <laughs> Let's be honest. He's short. She's very tall. <laughs> you just see him looking up. At her knee. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see you past your boobs. She's like, I can't see you past my boobs either. <laughs> Honestly, not that stacked. No. Great butt, but I'm noticing she's doing a lot of squats and a lot of athletic aerobic movement. Yeah. Maybe a D, as far as cup size goes. She's not. She's definitely not drawn in a male gaze. You can tell oh, it was yes, designed what, by a that's, woman. That's what I didn't mm, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that's. A, I think she's an interesting drawing. That's for sure. Um, it's then just a quick edit montage of her killing angel after angel after angel after angel, never reloading a gun, just throwing it to the side and having a fresh one from Rodan's literal pile. Well, and- he bought guns, not ammunition. <laughs> it's very odd. Because ammunition, you have to stop and change it. Nah, fuck that. Just throw it on the ground. So once his pile is out, this crazy long cut scene of almost half an hour ends and you get a tutorial for basic hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, I feel like I wandered off. How did you feel about the standard hand-to-hand in this game? Because you did the tutorial before I did. You were there. You were a grand zero. It's easy enough to pick up. And it makes sense. It'd be punishing but it's to try so and master. Freaking combo heavy. You can button mash your way through it though. Yeah. It's sim- it's simple, but difficult to master. Yes. I think. That's how I feel about it. It's classic hack and slash, which I always enjoy. Um most of the levels set up are just platforming or a little light puzzle between arenas for clearing just just 
chock full of angels. Kick the shit out of a bunch of those guys. Yep. Um, I'm not very good at the time ones. Yeah, followed by boss fights. They can either be very simple, fucking brutal. Yeah, there's no in-between. <laughs> which we, which leads me to one of the main complaints of the first game, and that's the difficulty settings. You unlock harder modes later, but you're fresh into the game, and you've got really easy, easy, and medium. Yeah. That's not fucking medium. Medium would imply it's the middle one. It's the, the hardest one. The second one is also, it's got in brackets, automatic. Mm. And I, that was the one I chose. That's the one I'm I ended up- still not 100% positive what that boils down to. It does a lot of, it cuts you a lot of slack. In the medium- I know, but like- In the medium mode, boss fights are very harsh, so I dropped it back to easy mode because that fucking dragon stuck in the church was biting the shit out of me. More on that later. Um, but then the easy mode has like the autopilot from Near Automata running the whole time. Yeah. Uh, it does most of the work itself. It truly needed a medium easy. And that's the thing, like if that makes any sense why, at all. Why do you want it to be so easy that you're just sitting there watching a film? Yeah, I don't want it to be too cakewalky, but the medium felt just tedious to me. Yeah, the amount of damage I'm doing to boss fights, it's like I don't want to sit here for an hour. I just want to, uh, you know, I want uh, I want challenge, but like I don't want to dick around all day. I have other stuff to do. Yeah. Um, but like most things, I didn't. Most of the things I didn't enjoy about the first game are very fixed and very polished in the sequel. So, number two kicks ass, by the way. Mm. As the tutorial stuff continues, the angels grab Enzo and try to escape. This was the first time we double jumped and saw our big butterfly wings. Oh, yeah. They're cool. They are are cool, but again, don't really make sense. What? Vampirella has fucking bad wings sometimes. Not all the time, sometimes. Okay. Do you say it makes sense? Women have... Hey. You were of an era. A very specific era. You remember Butterfly by Crazy Town. Those girls didn't have wings the whole time, but they had them sometimes. That's Women retract... They retract their wings. Women be retracting. Oh, that's why I have big boobies. Alice they're in, full of wings. Yeah, they're full of, full of feathers. Alice, in the second half of the Slim Books, retracted angel wings. Spoilers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's already dead in the start of the first one. Fuck your spoilers. Um, so. Yeah, it's been more than a week. <laughs> it's been well more than that. Alright, so yeah, she's got the cool wings. They're nice. Um, she lands on Enzo's car. He's not too thrilled about the damage done to it. Um, however, Bayonetta saves him from the angels that he can't even see as a mortal, so that's probably a bit traumatizing. Uh, and with but that- he can see shit going down. He's well, freaking he's, out the he entire sees way through and, the cutscene. And like blood, and he's being lifted by something. Yeah. Yeah, he's at- that'd be stressful. That would be very, like... I can see why he's give miserable. Him, give him some credit. How the fuck did he get roped into this? I don't think it was explained to him what would be happening. It's like a little fat mob dude who has a family and children. <laughs> Stuck in this angelic war now. Um, so, yeah. That's going on. Uh, they they end up driving uh, home, I guess, in that busted car and talk about their special project. And Rodan leaves to work on his part of that, too. This is the part you said was confusing. Mm. So, while driving back to the city, we get another huge exposition jump dump due to Enzo carrying on a whole lot about his car and predicament, getting roped into things like this. We learn Bayonetta woke up 20 years ago at the bottom of a lake with that classic trope of main character amnesia. Mm. All she knows is that she is a witch and has learnt 
sense that angels are constantly trying to drag her back to hell where she's supposed to be. Hence her taking the fight to them these days. Very much so. I As mean, we just saw. You gotta do what you gotta do. Just John Wick in him, I guess. Um, so during this mild dressing down, she notices Enzo has a tracker on him. And it seems too late to remove it. Um, because the aeroplane we saw earlier is back literally trying to hit their car. Yeah, on the highway. Deception, though. Not their tracker. Mm. But I think they just can sense her or something. I don't know I how mean, it works. Angels be doing angel shit. Oh, beast. Yeah. Um, so Enzo swerves, crashes, and falls clear of the already trashed convertible. Bayonetta jumps through her crossing over sigil thingy and lands atop the plane, seeing the angels getting killed by Jean. See, Bayonetta can remember this witch in red from before her underwater rest, but only in flashes. Jean remembers her, though, very well, in fact. Knows her four-syllable name that I can't fucking shorten for the life of me for the sake of notes and talking. Hey. Mm, nah, that feels too shit. Netta. Hmm. So, that's it. That's oh. Netty. Um, I don't know, man. So... They square up for, and I love that bit because, like, they they pose up, they get ready to fight, and just for a little added cheese, Bayonetta does like quickly do a darting look at the camera. Mm. <laughs> it's just like a weird. It's like they put an outtake in the game. Mm. So this is a cute little detail. The gameplay begins again, and it's hard to describe without visuals. Honestly, a lot of this game, frankly, is yeah. It is. It's completely in witch time. So if you do a perfect dodge. You get a brief period of witch time, which is just super slow motion. You just you get the speed force for a minute. Yeah, you, but can, th- you can like predict what's going. And on. this entire fight is in that mode, so you can get a feel for it, and so you can do a lot of special attacks. If, if you watched the um, Sherlock Holmes with um, Robert RDJ, mm-hmm. when he does his little explanation of what he's going to do in the fight, that's in witch time. Hmm. Or um. When Quicksilver saves everyone from that explosion at the X Mansion. I was trying to think of something that people have actually watched. No, everyone remembers that one bit from that movie. You know what? The rest of it's vague. Yeah. That's Dangerous of Future Past, I think. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you, you're doing slow motion. You're learning some of the insta-kill moves, like the torture attack. Did you have any favorites of those? Will I bring them up? Because I don't really mention a lot of the you know, fighting mechanics. Not really, because I was also mostly just button mashing at this point, because I had no idea what was going on. Those are those ones where you, like, summon a torture device, yeah. dump the angels into it, like the big spiky treadmill, just an Iron Maiden guillotine. Oh, I did the Iron Maiden a lot of times. I never did a guillotine. The pulley system's good. Oh, I do. I'm very it depends on what enemy system. you're fighting, because some of them have specific ones. There's yeah. these angels who have a little bit of a, a tata going on, mm. some boob. Um, those ones get tied up and put on the Spanish donkey. Ooh. And sort of dragged by the legs down, you know, split in half. So, yeah. I just don't get what that was called the other day. Why I was did you explaining need that? it to somebody. Okay, great. Medieval torture devices. And it's also in slow motion because you're fighting atop a crashing plane. Yes. While it's doing that. Yes. There is a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on all the time. So the two women keep. Up in the ante and being more showboating with their kills until the angels are all gone. But before they can turn on each other, Jean makes a stealthy escape like Batman. 
Um, and that's the thing. The whole way through, she's, like, insulting you. Yeah, because you're rusty and not good at this anymore. Yeah. You used, you used to be hot shit, but now you're a, a dork. Screwed. <laughs> Always eating lollipops like fucking Juliet Starling. I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, so, while this is still sort of in slow motion, Bayonetta still has time to throw Enzo and his car back down onto the road and get in it. Yeah. Um, finally returning to Rodan's bar, which is the Gates of Hell. That's a cool name. It is, and it sits between Earthly Realm and, I guess, the Nether Realm, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan. Well, that's he, he can use it's, the bar to, like, go it's and like, pick up stuff that he shouldn't have. I know, it's like an airport bar. Like, you you check in from human world, yeah. and your destination's going to be hell, probably, instead of Florida. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, he and Bayonets talk about the sheer amount of angels at that graveyard and the plane crash and stuff. Rodan sees this as, you know, and the timing of Enzo getting that information that they mentioned earlier to be very suspect. Hmm. Uh, this little gang of angel killers might seem kind of like bad guys here, but there is a balance and a status quo that they are trying to uphold. Hmm. Like I said earlier, there's a yin-yang that needs to happen. Without darkness, there's no light, all that sort of shit. Whether they know it or not, yeah. though. But what the angelic types are doing currently is risking the tip of those scales. They're getting a little bit wild and flying planes into cities. Well, which, they're the only ones Considering this took place after 2001, feels a little bit radicalized. Again, they're the only ones around. Hmm. Yeah, not a lot of extras. There's only a few moments, but they're always completely wisped out because you're being invisible, so you don't have to bring a passport. <laughs> The only one, like, that I can really remember there being other people in, and they can't see you, is in the train. Mm, in the train station? Yeah. A lot of V-Grid has that, but, yeah, we'll get to um, So, Rodan thinks something is up, but, and, and there is, which we don't learn about it for a super long time. In the meantime, we got her some help, or he got her some help with protection. Less realistic guns. Yay! This is when we get Scarsborough Fair. Uh, I called them lightish red. Yes. They're not quite pink. No. They're quite red. Lightish red. Yeah. Okay. I can go with that. Hmm. It's like a red car that's been in the sun for too long. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're, they're good. Do you like their design? Yeah, they're pretty cool. Yeah. I like how they're, like, they're they're crescent they're moons. Dingy, dingy. I like that the, the, the crescent designs on the side of them, if you put them together, like, they all make a nice little pattern. So, with these and her info from Enzo, which gets narration over the plane across a map treatment, you know the ones, you know the little plane going Hmm. across a big world map while someone talks, that's what it does, classic movie stuff. Um, as from, um, where on earth is Carmen San Diego? Hmm. And Indiana Jones and like a million other animals. Hmm. American Dad's done it. Um, so she heads off to this probable trap in a made-up location called Vigrid Europe, which is a little bit Vatican-y, but without the copywriting or the church getting pissed about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, let's say during this flight, roughly, we play a mini-game called Angel Attack. Do you want to talk about those? Very arcadey. You can hear the coin going into the machine. Oh, yeah. It's like an old-timey TV, and then there's all these little, like, floaty skulls, and you got to knock them. Yeah, they're the little floaty angels, and some of the normal ones with wings. you got to, like... It's like, um... Point Blank. 
you know, the arcade game where you... Yeah. It's a time crisis as well. Time crisis, I yeah. like. So yeah, yeah. Point blank was the PlayStation one. Oh. Yeah, I got super good at those, but I got super patient at those too. I'm I would, not good at them, I just shoot. I'm good at them, but it you takes me like five like, minutes. I only got like one thing. So yeah, as you progress through the game, you unlock like bullets during the level and then you use them in these, which you can exchange for tokens, which you can exchange for items. Yeah. Bayonetta uses lollipops. For help. Like lollipop trains. There are The sticks on them are too long. Yeah. But so is she. Yeah. So it's fine. Um, yeah, they can do health. They can do magic boosts. Some of them can do um, in like a little bit of invulnerability, mm-hmm. which I learned and relied on quite a bit as, as the game progressed. Yeah, I wasn't good at that. Mm. And you have to, like, make them in a mortar and pestle using ingredients that you collect throughout as well. You can do it that way. I was buying stuff and I was just like, I can afford it. <laughs> okay, so Bayonetta rides this train, rides a train the last stretch into Vigrid, um, and as it approaches the Vatican-ass-looking city, she gets up, struts the aisle, and the title card appears, only just now. Yeah. And, like, the theme song starts a little bit. You know, I'm nearly two and a half thousand words into my notes and we're getting a little pop up there. The theme starts and it feels like one of those moments, but it's cut short immediately by darkness. (laughs) And a voice infiltrates her mind and it says it's time to awaken the eyes of the world. The voice knows her and claims it wants to protect her. Remember that? Nope. Alright, well that, with with that ominous shit on her plate, Bayonetta leaves the train, enters V-Grid, you do some running around, learn about... Um, walls you can break if you just keep hitting them. You learn your butterfly wings can help you glide a oh, little yeah, bit. Oh, yeah, I was good at that bit. Mm-hmm. And you get that big key to unlock the big door. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, there's some simple angel goons, and you do a recurring puzzle element where you have to trick heaven into striking you down by rebuilding Umbra Witch statues, only to dodge the lightning at the right moment with and unlocking witch time so you can, like, run on water I or go through bad fast at that shit. Part. Yeah, you don't have the timing for it. You just kept getting struck by lightning. Yep. <laughs> um, that's all good, but during this little hike, we're introduced to a phrase called the Wicked Weave. Mm-hmm. One of Bayonetta's main abilities is prehensile hair. Ugh. That means she can not only lengthen her silky black locks, but can also control it like a million thin monkey tails, Ugh. turning it into a big fist... Or stomping heels just to pummel angels with. But a detail that I can't help but think about a lot, when she is doing this homicidal hair hulk out, which I think was a good enunciation thing I did there. Thank you. Her bodysuit shrinks into a sling bikini. Kaya, could you tell the listeners why this is, please? Because she's using Louder. Because she's using her hair as a weapon, so it can't be her clothes anymore. She's wearing pubes. Ew. <laughs> it's so gross. I hate it. Why did they decide that was how it was going to be? It is a cool stylistic choice, and it's because the, f- it's the, better, the better you're fighting... The more of her you can see, so it's a um, incentive to get good at it for like twelve year old boys. But it's a it's hair. <laughs> oh, it's a Merkin bodysuit, dude. Prehensile hair is a thing I've noticed a bit in our travels now. Janie Bell uses this trick in Zombie Tramp, 
uh, we saw Flare Corona use hair magic in Fairy Tale. Yeah. Remember? Um, that one chapter of Tomie we might have covered, I think. And, like, eight or nine people that saw Marvels and Humans, they saw Medusa. She had big hair. Um, and from what I can tell, this idea stems back to some versions of the 1634 folklore tale Petrol Oh, fuck. This is an Italian word. I should be better at this one. Petrocinella. Okay. Okay. This is an Italian story that was ripped off by the French in 1698 with Persinette, which was later ripped off again by the Brothers Grimm in 1812 with their version titled Rapunzel. Look how far back I was digging. You really? 16th century shit. You really did fall down a hair well. I did. Well, don't even get me started on the grudge. I'm pretty sure she had prehensile hair too. She was in a well. Uh, some versions of these tales like to make the hair coming down the tower into a ladder shape. Or they just didn't want to draw all that hair every time, so they let it retract a little. Some versions of it do feature prehensile hair. And that could be where the idea comes from. It could also, another point of origin could be Hari Onago, a Japanese yokai, spooky ghost, um, from somewhere between 1603 and 1868. She uses barbed hair to hook onto and devour strapping young men on the island of Shikoku. I mean, why not? Mm hmm. So those are, those are the two points of contact with hair that does stuff that I can find. If you can get it further back, fucking let me know at schoolforwardnerdsatgmail.com. Hmm. But I pissed away like a whole day trying to, <laughs> trying to follow that one back. Next thing we learn is the halos you collect can be spent at Hell's, uh, at the gates of Hell Bar for items and techniques and you know things like that. Costumes. Oh yeah, I'm good at that. You're good at spending money you found. Yep. You can also craft items with the ingredients you collect if you wish. Lots of collecting in this game, really, between the halos, ingredients, records for weapon upgrades. Oh, I was good at those mm -hmm. ones. Law books that I didn't fucking once glance at. I also, yeah. Mm -hmm. Health magic upgrades. And the game itself um, is predominantly running from one spacious area to beat up angels and maybe a boss to the next spacious area to beat up angels, maybe a boss. Um, there's also a series of secret challenge fights in the first game that I didn't find until the second game. Oh. Because I've got a long play running as I do my notes, so I don't miss any details. And dude, we missed so much shit. So many secret little maps where you have to, like, beat a bunch of angels using nothing but witch time and you unlock a bit of a health boost. And I was like, we didn't do a single one of those. I haven't finished, so technically I still could. I don't think you're going to find these, man. They're tricky. Like you, all right. So we both know that I'm not going to find them in vi in Vigrid. You know how you glide over that big jump with the butterfly wings, and yes. then you continue and you do that lightning trick we spoke about, and you run across the water and you unlock the next area. Yes, you unlock that next area. Go back. Go all the way back to the hole that you jump over it with the butterfly wings, mm. and there's a little challenge portal in there, like the gates of hell portals. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Right. <laughs> But it's only there when you get unlock the next area. It doesn't show up until after the fact. Mm. That's what I'm saying. Exploration is is big in this sort of game. Yeah, it's got care. a little bit of a banjo because we collect a thon vibe to it in some in some. Sort I'm of ways. too busy doing challenges. And, you're you're uh, barely keeping it on. Dream my Valley. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So 
It's simple and enjoyable gameplay at its core. I think I prefer the Senra and Kagura hack and slashing, but that just might be practice. Um, but this is still very enjoyable. I like how it plays. I also enjoy the balls-to-the-wall style of the thing. Around this point of the level, we see a good example of that. You fight a big boss angel type thing, and you finish it off by summoning Gamora. The huge dragon thing brought up from hell via her hair. Mm. You, you remember that one? Yeah. I'm going to fight. I thought, it was, I thought it was just hair, but it is a demon summoned through, like, hair. Apparently I think the hair, hair is a space suit. Apparently float. hair is evil. Yeah. Which I completely understand currently. I think it's like hair possession. I don't know. I'm not a trichologist, which I googled, and that's the hair scientist. Okay. I'm not one of those, so I don't know how the dragon works. <laughs> um... But, yeah, it's a huge demon head that eats the fuck out of the angel. It's cool, but immediately a damper is put on things because when you pick up the giant axe that the angel was using, it scales down. That's rude. You remember that being disappointed. Yes. I, I would have liked to have seen Bayonetta wield an axe the size of a fucking semi-truck. Yeah, it just turns into, like, a scythe. Yeah. So with all that, a bit of a flashback gameplay to back when angel assassination was a group affair, um, another boss fight and another angel attack minigame, we reach the next cutscene. It must mean that she's pretty good at it, though, that she can do it without a group. Hmm. Like, screw you, people. Yeah, she's doing her best. Um, okay. So. Bayonetta crosses paths with Jean again. I remember this scene being pretty good, especially in my version, because your one was dressed like Princess Peach, and it kind of took a lot of the seriousness out of the moment. I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. Just because I found alternate costumes from other games and thought they were funny doesn't mean my game was less serious. It was, because instead of collecting Halos, you literally collect Mario coins and they made the ba-ding noise. They did, and I liked it. It's a cool day to that they do that. Into, um, Zelda. Mm. No, Link. You did, yeah, because uh, I like that the, the elf the, hat is full-sized, like, outwards to match her hair. Yeah. So dumb. So Bayonetta across the path with Sean again. Um, but we are across the globe at this point. We're in Vigrid. So suspicions are raised. And Jean rides a motorcycle across Angel's faces and a wall, like the spider Bucky from yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, up the top. Yeah. Once the angels are dispatched, they both start tough-talking each other in that catty way of theirs. Jean, Jean says that amnesia has left Bayonetta rusty. Bayonetta claims any rust would be from a lack of a real challenge. Keen-eyed viewers would already notice she's been pickpocketed, as that little brooch thingy on her chest is already missing in that moment. I did cool. not. Yo, she, she wasn't have. wearing it. <laughs> I noticed it in my playthrough. I was like, that's a cool little detail. Um, a brief fight breaks out, but Jean tosses it back to her and gives some hint about the eyes of the world being the main MacGuffin of things to come. <laughs> this inspires another flashback to Before the Lake, in which Umbra outcast Bayonetta and Jean fought in the coven. We learn how to walk on walls through this memory, which, now that we remember we can do, helps us in the present day. It's very, it makes it a lot easier. Mm. The, the only problem with it is it's limited. Down. Like, you keep trying to do the wall walk to, you know, look for collectibles and unlock shit, but not all of them are made. Only yeah, so, not, not it's, it's a very limited power. The yeah. and, it's, and there's no, like, indicator. It's not like, um,. The Tomb Raider remake, where the things you could climb had, like, weird white paint on them all the time. No, you just... It's guess. Give that's it a not, shot, yeah. and then when you fall down, realise that's not how that works. Yeah. In that present day, we reach 
the next cutscene, and meet a recurring character named Luca. A self-proclaimed ladies' man and also self-proclaimed investigative journalist. Cheshire Cat. Uh-huh. Voiced by Yuri Lowenthal. I did that pretty good. I'm happy with it. Um, he sounds exactly like he does in Spider-Man PS4, which is distracting to me with my voice recognition problem. Um, and to rub that fact in, he's constantly using a grapple line to swing around places. He literally fucking web swings. Are you kidding me? I know this came first, but for fuck's sake. Clearly he has a type. Yeah. I won't do a role that I can't swing in. So while on the run from some city guards, he smells Bayonetta's perfume. And let's overthink this detail, Kyle. Walk with me here. Gather around. Because he can't see her because she's in the witchy realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, he can never spot her, but he can smell her. Yeah. Mm. we got to think about this, though. Okay? It's because she's wearing her hair. She, no, he might not see her while she's in the angelic realm or whatever you want to call it, but he can hear her. That bug on Enzo was his, apparently. He's been tracking her. Mm. At this point, we see a funny torpedo cat in the background, by the way. Have to mention him. <laughs> got to. Leave him alone. Get a he neck, dog. his <laughs> Apparently, there there is no uh, animation between a cat standing and a cat moving. Um. <laughs> All right. So while that's happening, we learn his father was also an investigative journalist, the one who discovered the big coffin in the lake. He released it like that scuba dude that found the Loki mask in Jim Carrey's The Mask. Also, stop doing this. If you see a big spooky box in the fucking lake, leave it. Call a priest. Have him deal with it. Let no, it just leave it. And this is how, you know, curse starts. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's a mummified tomb, you leave it alone. Bayonetta wakes up and the scuba man gets dismembered. His child, Luca, witnessed this has been and has been after the witch ever since. I also hate when a child full of emotion witnesses their parent die and goes, Father! Yeah. Don't, don't use the full title as a dad. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this b- bullshit. It's, it's in old timey 2009. You've got to do it. Ugh. Of course, you know, it was an angel that mortals don't see after the Umbra Witch, but that would be a spoiler for later, I guess. If you don't read between the lines of this whole fucking dialogue, because you can work it out if you overthink it hard enough, the answers are there. Mm. That it was angels that did it, not Bayonetta. Okay. The context and hindsight is what it is. He mentions Rosemary as one of the scents in her perfume that he remembers from that day on the lake. That's how he knows where she is. He knows that fucking scent. Mm. She points out Rosemary is a demon repellent and she would never wear that. He And I think he could smell her and the angels. Who would use rosemary as a demon repellent? Because of course they would. Yeah. Mm, okay. And the angels are in both scenes. Because without realizing that for himself, he's about to get ambushed in this cutscene. And the angels were there in the first one. So he's just smelling the angels around her? He's smelling both. But because he's never seen the angels, but has seen Bayonetta. Because she didn't... Cloak. Yeah, she didn't cloak when she came out of the lake. He saw a big, tall goth woman and his dad exploding and assumed something. Doesn't know about the angels. really. Doesn't doesn't see the angels. Can probably smell the angels. I think he can smell both, but not realizing that it's two different things. Two separate things, things, Mm. yeah. See? Okay. Ah. All right, all right. 
Um, so yeah, they get ambushed. There's more hack and slash hijinks followed by a boss fight. Do you see the gameplay loop yet? Yeah. You have to bash up the things. Oh man, you see it pretty early on. Good thing it's fun. So the next chapter we meet one. Oh, the next chapter we we meet was one that that this okay. You want to work out your sentence there, buddy? The next character we meet was one that was and continues to confuse the shit out of me. You're a confusing character. Apparently. Okay. Bayonetta enters this churchy-looking building and notices something scurrying around the place. She pulls a gun on it, expecting an angel, maybe a Smash Bros. character. But it's a little girl. Very little, when you compare it to the gigantess that is Bayonetta. Yeah, she comes up to like... Who is standing at roughly an eight feet tall. Hmm. And this is a normal-sized child. Yep, so seeing this girl triggers some memories of a lullaby sung by, by Bayonetta's mother... And the Lumen Sages attacking the Umbra Coven back in the land of sepia tone flashbacks. Yeah. Um, before much else can be recollected, an angelic demon head crashes through the wall and gets lodged just in it, in the doorway. I will admit, on my first playthrough, this was where I dealt the difficulty back again. Because the, your hits are doing nothing. Yeah. And its hits are doing about a quarter of your health. And I'm like, I just don't have the time and patience. I don't care about this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That was when I discovered that easy mode is basically autopilot. Like, the fuck? <laughs> okay. So, while that's happening, I do like the slow zoom out showing us that the dragon head had, like, taken flight again, and the church is still stuck on its head, and Bayonetta is just in the sky doing this. Yeah. Seriously. Like, a lot of the set pieces in this game are fucking wild. <laughs> they are fun, though. Well, I suppose you've I would got, be, like, the freedom I, to do it. Yeah, so. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if the ideas and set pieces came way before the plot was built to string it all together. So after the church breaks apart, it's revealed that the dragon head is like an arm on a bigger angel. Kind of like True Ogre uh, having the snake arm in Tekken 3. Mm. So it's like it... It's it's like um, when you fight it's it... It's a Megazord in Power Rangers. Yeah, and it's like, was it you who dragged me from heaven? You stink of witches. Obviously, it's more fancy and in Enochian. And Bayonetta responds with, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Obviously, more fancy and serving cunt the way she likes to do. Mm. You know how she'd be. The angel- she mumbles under her breath, but we know what you're saying. So the angel is admittedly like, oh, okay, have a nice day. And tries, and she tries to kill it because it's a big ass angel. It disappears and the city erupts. Not like a euphemism or a riot, literally cracking and magma coming out. Yeah, you gotta run away from the lava. Yep, what we learn is that someone purposely has brought angels here. We saw some Lumen Sages making that sacrifice near the beginning of the game. Maybe it was them? But the angel kind of implies Bayonetta isn't totally who she believes she is either. Mm. From there, it's a long segment as Bayonetta escapes the burning city, running from magma like it's like a boulder in Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, you got to do, like, up a wall and then across a building that's no longer up, it's down. And it's one and of those, like, front-facing running bits, like the ogre in the PS1 Harry Potter game. Yeah. And some of that action. Um, you know, you do some hack and slashing. You do, you do a melon grab on an angel. You do some wall running, like you said. You escape into volcanic caverns under Vigrid and discover some heavenly realm while there because the space between heaven and Vigrid is actually very thin. Yeah, everything is all floaty. Mm. 
Yeah, you remember that weird-looking flowery area? Yeah, I was down there. Yeah, it's good. You made it that far. Um, yeah, Bayonetta gets clear of the city, and I like that you can see it burning in the horizon if you look back. That's a cool little detail. But where she escaped to is Big Colosseum. Obviously, you need to do a boss fight here. It's Colosseum. Yeah. Duh. Of course you do. And that's where that dragon-headed handed angel also ended up. Okay. Mm-hmm. His name was Fortudo. A lot of them have wacky names. That is accurate. I guess they're all Scandinavian religious things. Yep. Um, so, it talks about the final Umbra witch destined for hell. Bayonetta says she will kill him because he's too ugly to be left alive. Yeah. And she tells him to flock off Featherface. <laughs> now, that brings another bone of contention to us. According to the wiki notes, she says flock off in mid-fight. That's one of her combo like catchphrases. Mm-hmm. And in the long play I had run in while I was doing my script, I can hear flock off. But Kaya played half. I played this game and most of two so far. It doesn't sound like flocking our copies. No. Not at all, right? No. She is sprouting profanity. And it's a great delivery too, like the the real emphasis. You know, when she's doing like a whole shove and she's like, fuck off! Yeah. Oh, I love it. But I'm so confident our one's not saying flock. I'm going to have to, like, really waste a lot of time going back and check. Yeah. Maybe our versions are different. Maybe European has, like, a slightly gentler one than the American release. I don't know. Something's different, though. Mm. But we would have – our copies will be different. Because our first one we bought in Australia, the second one we bought in Japan. Oh, the shape of that. By a lot. Fucking import tax, man. It's cheaper to just go and get shit yourself half the time. Yeah. Don't, don't pay full price for Nandroids. Just go get them. Have a holiday. Have a good time. <sighs> All right. So, she definitely says fuck off, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm shaking on this. We agree. Australian version, definitely different to the one I'm watching on, t- on the television. <laughs> Another boss fight with this guy. Um, This time, ending with you summoning a big demon bird with, like, right. 20 eyes. And, it's very creepy looking, and, but it's, like, great character design. It's badass. Like, how satisfying is it, though, when you summon one of those big-ass things? Oh, yeah. And then they just, like, demolish the enemy. It's good. It does. Like It, 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 it feels it, good. It's it's part of that whole Bayonetta smugness. Because if she could do that at any point, she's just hand-to-hand fighting gods to fuck with them. Yeah. And then when she's like, all right, playtime's over, finish him. <laughs> You know? It's but you've got to give her a thing, because literally every other, like, of her species needs to do it in a group. Mm. She does it solo, and then it's just like, I'm bored. Can you, like, you take over? I'll be over here with my little Four plays over. I've lost interest. Yeah. yeah. She's a cat playing I with have, a mouse. I have orgasmed. You, you go help yourself. <laughs> she but does strike me as someone. She's exactly the type of girl who masturbates. Is good at it and doesn't need a man. Yeah. <laughs> She's got that vibe. All right. So, so yeah, you fight with this big demon bird and the Colosseum just gets tossed into the fucking sky. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's nuts. And as the big angel dies, it talks of the foretold power of his of her opponent and how his death was just planned. Yeah. His sacrifice was for Jubileus. And that is a key name that we... We'll probably get into next week. How does, How does that sound? Sounds like we know where we're going. Yep. 
Good stuff. Um, yeah, obviously we'll have to do a few parts of this. Yeah. It's a dense game, but that's why we have to do this podcast, because I'm sure there's a lot of people like you, and a lot of people like me, until Bayonetta 2 explained it to me, that are like, what the fuck was that? How, and we have to explain How bad it. does your game have to be that you have to make a sequel, not because your game was well-received, no, it was very well no, received, no, 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 no. but they had to go out of their way to do a lot of explaining. Exactly. It's like, here's the plot from the first one in case you didn't keep up with it. And it's like, thank you. That came in very fucking handy. Yeah. It was good, though. It is fun to play. Um, there's, there's so much weird charm to it. Mm-mm. It's a wacky adventure. But it's not like a comedy. It's it's very, like... It's a goofy adventure. Yeah. That's an adventure that has goof. Hmm. Alright, well on that note, I've been produ- uh, no. You've I- been producer- I've been producer Kaya, I've been joined by host Toby Ravala. Oh, thanks for having me. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, do all the things, and we will see you next week, and class is dismissed. Bye bye!